Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered for all the odds, props, promos, and parlays during the biggest gambling week of the year, March Madness, rounds one and two. It should be a national holiday. You can use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Hi, Morgan. Why does it look like you're in a jail cell right now? Oh, I see. I'm doing pretty rad right now. How are you? Pretty rad. No, not pretty rad. No. Sorry, bud. No, no. Things are looking up. Oh. <gasps> Yay! Things are looking up for old Morgan down under. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah, we don't work on a boat anymore. I guess that would be the case if you were thinking that it would only be a two-week job two months ago. Yeah. You're probably good. He didn't pay me. Oh, the thing you were afraid of. Yeah. Um. So... Then I did like a photo booth thing at weddings and then I fucked up someone's wedding last week. Fun. Uh-oh. Well, I didn't. I just, the photo booth didn't work the whole time and I tried for five hours in the in like the hills two hours from Melbourne. Um, and the owner sent another camera up in Uber and I still couldn't get the whole thing to work. And anyway, the bride was like, super lovely she's like don't worry don't cry and i'm like crying like an idiot and you're in the I, middle of crying i was crying so i was so embarrassed i'm like this is her big day and here i am not producing what she wanted you know she didn't care she was fine um but i did an assessment yesterday and i have another assessment to do for proper jobs yay yay proper jobs Yay, proper jobs for Morgan. Yay, like proper grown-up adult jobs. <laughs> You're saying working on a boat isn't an adult job, even though and it wasn't not, a job? Not for an adult that doesn't know what they're doing. But um, so I have a 165-minute assessment to do. That is two hours and... 45 minutes. So many minutes. Yeah. Um, 165 so, makes it sound better. Yeah, no, it sounds awful. Um, so, yeah, two hours, 45 minute assessment to do um, for an air traffic controller position. So, I'm putting my eggs in that basket. You could do that. You could do that. Yeah, I watched Sully last week. <laughs> 
sure okay that wasn't the first sully's kind of like the the worst case scenario well not worst case because everyone survived one of the worst case scenarios on the job so i guess yeah but, yeah. but the but the air traffic controller thought he crashed and it was like sitting in a meeting room like losing his mind he didn't realize that sully was a boss landed the plane in the water anyway the good news is 99.9% of your job won't be Sully. Um, 0% of my job will be Sully. Is, uh, we don't crash planes here. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not possible. It's impossible for an Australian plane to crash. It's I, a really weird phenomenon. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've seen that movie. Oh, wait. Well, I don't even know. I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> What the one, the one where he counts cards and he's disabled? Wait, that's not Sully. What what movie are no, you? No, 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 no. The movie where the disabled dude talks about corners all the time and about how they don't crash. The guy he counts cards. I don't know. Dustin dude, Hoffman. I don't know what movie you're talking about at all. I don't, I don't know. Tom Cruise, disabled brother, has to wear the same jocks all the time. Counts cards. Nope. Goes to Vegas. Nope. Okay, now see, this is what happens when you don't watch movies and you just Yeah, this is this is a classic Kyle doesn't know movies <sighs> moment. I don't know movies either. Um, um anyway, like most of your job is not is... gonna be crashing. Right it's Rain Man, Rain Man. <laughs> was that movie released before or after I was born? Let's find out. I don't know. I've never, I've never seen it. Um, um, it was not released before I was born. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, this is before you were born? I was two. Oh, okay. So this oh, is an old, old movie. Okay. Yeah. And Dustin Hoffman is Rain Man. And he talks about Qantas all the time and about how Qantas don't crash. All uh, it has good ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, but this is all just to to prove the point that <laughs> Australian planes are just incapable of crashing. Apparently, then, like, what it, what is your job even doing then? If you need to control air traffic, if they can't crash, why do we need air traffic? Well, that's why they don't crash, Kyle, because of heroes that don't wear capes like me <laughs> i thought you i thought you said they were just indestructible i thought we were saying no, that uh, no, australian no, planes no. are incapable of crashing <laughs> no 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 we're fuckwits we could crash if if, if allowed because okay. we're like chilly right we just land it sideways no um <laughs> land it upside down <laughs> you know just uh, just uh, park her over here she'll be right all right, I feel like I've run this joke into the ground. So, uh, um, like a plane, like a plane. <laughs> thank you. See, we have good comedic timing, just like that. Just like that. Okay, uh, Morgan, I have a, I have a confession. Um, I'm one of the schmucks. I'm one of the losers. I just spent 25 minutes watching Aaron Rodgers talk on Pat McAfee. I did it. I'm the, what I'm the he, person. What did, he, what did he not say? Well, he did. He didn't say anything for 15 minutes, and then he said all the good stuff in like three minutes, which is like, yeah, since Friday, I've wanted to go to the Jets, and the Packers are stalling, and the Packers don't want me. Okay. That's most of the important stuff. He took, I love the joke that said he's definitely going to be a podcaster because he took 20 minutes to say three minutes of good stuff. So 
Yes, he did. He did end up giving the goods. So he really is a male. He took 20 minutes to give you the three minutes of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He explained the whole, he, he mansplained the whole situation with Jordan Love. It's like the Packers drafted him to replace me. We're like, yeah, no shit. The Packers drafted him to replace you. And then yeah. explained it's how. It's like, of, it's like getting into a relationship with a, with a cheater and then being shocked they cheat on you. Bro, what they did to Brett Favre, they did to you. <laughs> but then they backed out on that because of what he called the two COVID MVPs is what he put in air quotes. So because of that, they felt they needed to give him an extension. He stayed for an extra year. And according to him, because when the Jordan Love was- wasn't what they thought he was going to be. If Jordan Love had have been what Aaron Rodgers was. Idiot. But then Aaron Rodgers all of a sudden got good, or not just good, he got great all of a sudden again after they and, drafted Jordan Love. And they made Jordan Love's parents sit like on the roof. Yeah, that game in Kansas City when he was immunized and got COVID. And yeah, basically kind of explained like, yeah, I've been wanting to go to the Jets. The Packers don't want me, but the Packers also are being cheap and don't want to trade me. And I never had any weapons, but I'm taking all my weapons with me. But I never had any weapons. You didn't say that part, but, um, you know. But, all but the... why, is he, why is he insisting on taking these non-weapons with him? Blah. Well, he is taking only the ones he likes, in fairness. And also Odell Beckham, just because, I don't know. An old because... fling with Odell. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, why not? Um I don't know. It's the thing yeah. Tom Brady did. I mean, Tom Brady brought all his homies with him to Tampa, and yeah, but Tom also... Brady hadn't spent his career complaining about not having any homies. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he would like Devonte Adams, and he just can't get him at this point. So, well, that that's because he drove him out. <laughs> he priced him out. Hmm. Yeah. So I was one of the people who's like, "Damn it! I know I I know I shouldn't." But I need to hear what he's gonna say, and uh, I did. I spent twenty minutes listening. Did to you Aaron really Rogers. need to hear it? Like, oh, yeah, because he, it was. He, he, it, told, he told you he was jilted by the Jordan Love situation. No shit. He did. In fairness, he did give us the goods at the end. He did explain, like, yeah, since last Friday, I've wanted to go to the Jets, and we've got all the stuff ready. They're signing my receivers, and the Packers just won't trade me because they want to get more for me than what the Jets are offering. And so they're kind of in a stalemate. So he did give the goods at the end. I'm bored by him. Okay. I just understandably, I feel, I feel a little dirty for having spent my time watching it because I usually, I try not to be that sports obsessed person. And yet I spent more time watching that than I did. It's the biggest story in sports currently, despite not being anywhere near football season. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of March madness. Even though everyone knows it's happening because he's so aloof and (laughs) non-committal and likes to play these games like you're not that interesting bro 
Yeah, but he got me. He got me good. If you make it a if you make it a live television slash YouTube event like the decision, then you got me. He he arose from his cave just to spend twenty minutes leading you on, and then finally deliver the goods in three. Well, he such did. A, he did say. Man. He did say when he came out of the cave, he was going to retire, and then for some reason, stuff had changed that led to him now realizing the Packers didn't want him anymore. Which you know, Hang on a minute. so he was going to retire, but when he felt unwanted, he then needed to prove he was wanted somewhere else. Pretty much, yeah. I think he just nailed it. <laughs> yeah. So we're not questioning this man's need for love or um, need for appreciation, need for uh, some kind of stature. Like he, he just craves this attention. And I think it's because his family hate him. <laughs> he just needs this. Oh, he's so needy. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's sad. Like, it's interesting. It's just not the most interesting thing. Like you, you, you're, like you actually could. You don't. You don't need all this crap. Shush. It is. It shut, is funny. Shut, shut up and drool. <laughs> Literally. You can't dribble a football. He dribbles bullshit. Damn! You got yeah. him. You got him. Um, okay, next. So, what's next? Jazz and counseling. What'd you make of that situation? Because we haven't talked since was, the whole. I thought it was very unprofessional of the strip club to release photos. Bad, bad. Uh, bad someone, bad. someone paid money for those. That strip club didn't release it. Someone paid them. For for the photos, I don't know what the I don't know what the money was. But... To even have the owner then discussing the matter, like surely that's a no comment. Like when your clientele are dropping that kind of cash, do they not command some kind of I don't know discretion? Under normal I, circumstances, I, I, yes. I, I get it that if you were going out there to like to complain about his behaviour or because you felt um, aggrieved by what had happened in your establishment, then sure. But to go out and try to defend his character by saying, oh, we've had we've had nuggets of broncos in here and they've been shit compared to him, like, yeah, but did they wave a gun at your workers, which she also mentioned in the article like i don't know what that person was intending on doing i think they were yeah confused i would say that one the the high profile clientele would be protected if it weren't valuable like the the hundred thousand i don't know what the number is but say the hundred thousand dollars not tmz but tmz equivalent paid for the photos i would say is probably what 
is the reason why we have access to those. And on the flip side, yeah, I think it kind of misses the point about why he's in counseling. It's not because he performed poor, or like he was a bad person at a strip club. It's because he flashed a gun on a video in a strip club. In addition to the other four things that we know about John Morant beating up 17 year olds and uh, flashing lasers and fighting mall security officers with a group of 10 people. Part of the article I found the most alarming is that it took him 80 minutes from touchdown of the aircraft to be at the strip club. Like, you got to be somewhere, bro? <laughs> Jesus. I guess the wings must have been really good there. This is also, I think, like 4 a.m. in Denver. Yeah. Um, which that part I think is more normal by the former NBA standards. I don't know if it's more standard now. I don't know what strip club culture is like now in sports, but I know that used to be the joke about NBA and MLB players was that once the game was over, you'd head out to the local club. Um, yeah, I get that, I don't but know. this was this was like on arrival into Denver. Within 80 minutes, he was in the strip club and then he was back there after the game. Mm hmm. Stephen Adams thought he had with the play. <laughs> Lol, idiot. <laughs> if you are Stephen Adams, honestly, looks like Tarzan obviously leads like Jane. His didn't work. Steven Adams might be in the I don't have to put up with this shit camp anymore. I think he can leave after this season. That might be kind of the the place Steven Adams is at now is the I don't have to put up with this shit anymore uh, with yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah right. he can leave after this season. Yeah, where's he going? To the New Zealand Breakers? Someone will. If Sacramento will take him. We'll take him over here. We'd be happy to have Steven Adams. Yeah, add him to your list of who's who. As in, who are they? Anyway, whatever. I was just taking a pot shot at Stephen Adams for being a New Zealander. I understand. We have a hate and sometimes love relationship with New Zealanders. No, just hate. Just hate. Oh, oh no, I can't say that anymore. So my my net, my my, my favourite netball team. I play for only in winter. It's coming up to of um, Islanders, so mostly New Zealanders, Samoans, Tongans, and me, White Morgan, <laughs> and I, and I have a track record of loving New Zealand. <laughs> Um, but these these girls are awesome. They're so so funny, so so good to play with. But they would beat the shit out of me. <laughs> you do not want to cross these people. They are crazy. I think you were also willing to go to New Zealand for the Women's World Cup and watch New Zealand so. play. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I've been to New Zealand before. It was fine. It was boring, but it was fine. 
<laughs> although, although, like, I, I was with my mum and my, my grandma, so it was like it was always going to be boring. But I, there are things in New Zealand I would like to do. Because, um, like, in Queenstown, like, they have, like, cool adventure stuff, like big swing things and bungee jumps and crazy shit. That, that's up my alley. I'm down for that. <laughs> A 14-year-old's paradise that's right up your alley. Yeah, like the world's biggest swing thing, like jump off a bridge thing over whatever. Mm-hmm. School. Yeah, where you're like strapped in and you jump off a bridge and it'll like catch you and bounce you up and down thing. Yeah, but it's like enormous. Looks cool. Looks right. great. I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. So that kind of shit is cool about Queenstown. It's very picturesque there. Very lovely. Very lovely. Home of Stephen Adams, who may or may not be on Memphis next season. Yeah, maybe. You know what? Maybe. Who cares? Not me. Yeah. If if the John Morant thing weren't so sad, bring it back to that. If the John Morant story weren't so sad, it would be really funny in my is it mind. Sad? Is it, is it sad? Is it yeah. like another young dude struggling with handling all that comes with the gravity of being next in line? Like that's yeah. a big it's a big thing for a young dude. But like and he's obviously grappling with that and other issues. That's just unfortunately something that people his age often grapple with he just has to do it on a much bigger stage with a lot of people watching and much more dire consequences well because of his choices yeah well yeah because of his choices and because what he stands to lose from it not just like losing the money or the you no, know no, the, like he's that life. stuff but yeah like I was going to say, like, because he's more high profile, he becomes more of a target now. And if he's hanging around these circles, he does become much more of a target and could die. Yeah. Like I find, like I, I struggle to comprehend that because it's just, just not a part of any culture I've been brought up with. I don't understand it. So like listening to Bo and Dominique and, those kind of voices like explain these things to me that that's scary that's some scary shit like mm-hmm. i don't know what the culture of memphis is like i don't i don't understand um the challenges that he would face but um to hear it from wiser um, people who do understand, um, yeah, that's scary shit. So I, I hope that it all works out well. Mm-hmm. If it weren't so sad, there would be humor to derive from the situation. Because even even if there's like a change in behavior and this becomes a Carmelo Anthony situation, because Carmelo kind of had the same thing around, uh, I think it was like 2007, basically, where... He got suspended 15 games for similar type stuff to what John Morant got suspended for, you know, what John Morant is on leave for. And like, hopefully, even if it becomes that situation, 
what do most people casually who know Memphis and know John Morant think about John Morant now? They think he's someone you can, you can play with and is someone who now becomes more of a target, even if that's not going to be his reputation going forward. That's what it is now. And that's what it's going to be for a little bit because this thing just doesn't shake off that quickly. So, yeah, that's that's the part that sucks for John Morant is that the reputation's now this and that does make him more of a target going forward. And like I said, if it wasn't so sad, there would be a lot of humor to derive from it because 17 year old talked shit and got hit. <laughs> if it were just that one story, I think there'd be humor to derive out of it. And instead, you've got a pattern of behavior that makes it really messed up for John Morant. And the reason why Bo nailed it, that he's probably not going to be back the rest of the season. <laughs> we're probably not going to see John Morant again this year. You know what? It's probably best case scenario. Because the alternative of not seeing him at all would be awful. He's an amazing talent, an amazing basketballer. And yeah, I think that whatever he can achieve by taking time away, um, I think that needs to be a priority. Yeah, I just I find that I find the whole thing interesting on a number of levels because this is the first time in this generation, like I mentioned Carmelo before and people will bring up Allen Iverson. This is the first time in this generation that you have what is basically I know he's kind of on the edge, but you have basically a Gen Z case of mental like mental illness slash pattern of behavior that is problematic that enters the national spotlight like this uh Bo brought up Bomani Jones brought up the point that John Morant is basically now like the preeminent American young basketball star at this point so if you want to add that to what he's carrying in terms of about about to sell shoes that are going to rival Kyrie Irving or selling himself as like the savior or the hope for black American basketball players like if that's the thing that he's carrying with him, it's going to be interesting to see that as a Gen Z star now enter the spotlight the way it did for Carmelo 15 years ago or Allen Iverson 25 years ago. It's interesting to see how that's going to play out over the next two years, because in the short term, it's pretty straightforward what's going to end up happening with John Morant. It's just interesting to see how that plays out when he's 25. And this isn't the first thing we think of when we think of John Morant. I find it very dismissive, though, that people are like, oh, but he come from like a stable family. He went to a private school. Like that doesn't make you immune from the struggles that society, that the rest of society faces. Like, hey, great. His parents love each other and he went to school. That means shit. Well, yeah, that part is dismissive because it's the, the, the belief that the reason for bad behavior or the reason for all these like stereotypical characteristics of like black troublemakers, which is like flashing guns and trying to be, I hate using the word, but being thug, like it's this idea that that only comes from single parent households and it only comes from poverty and only comes from these things. Like it's, it's a very stereotypical way of thinking about, not just like people who are labeled as thugs, but also just the black experience as a whole. It's a very lazy way of thinking about mm -hmm. this in terms of just, you know, people who, the only in the worst of worst circumstances do people turn to this like, no, it's not the case at all. Like 
there's a wide range of experiences that lead to this two people going down different rabbit holes even John Morant star basketball player it's it's not for one singular reason it's not as linear as people like to think it is no in the same way that just because you had one parent and just because you went to public school or you didn't finish school that doesn't mean you're now destined for any certain life like you are not you are not your circumstance yeah of course like it's it's a very lazy way to go about it because the way that this that i perceive the story is like no this is who john morant is in terms of like what he is out here doing when he's not playing basketball or even when he's playing basketball like this is who john morant is and that's why it's more symptomatic of a larger thing it's why right away like Bo said the same thing I said, which is like five days is not going to fix this thing for John Morant. Like if you care about the human being, it's not. And my thought was like Memphis is weighing the we have a huge incentive for him to play this season and we want what's best for his well-being long term. And I'm sure the NBA is kind of getting involved in some of these places. I wasn't sure if the employer would do right by the person because I don't know how far the responsibility goes for the employer to do right by the human being. So I don't know if it's John Morant's own discretion that he's in counseling or if that's the NBA stepping in. I don't know the reasoning behind it. It's just I don't know how far they would go to care about his well-being if they had allowed it to reach this place and were, you know, reportedly afraid of him leaving if they stepped in or not listening to him. Like, I don't know how far Memphis would go in terms of pressuring him to come back or if he wanted to come back, even if he wasn't like mentally in the right space, that they wouldn't stop him. Like, I don't know the details behind that one. But the thing that the seemed same, clear to me is like, trying, is to trying, to prov- trying to provide structure to an individual who does seem to be spiraling. Like, I will briefly discuss my own um, experience with um, spiraling um, and with having that structure removed from my life. So when I was in a past life, um, in a previous previous job, and dealing with um, a drug issue that I had let get way out of control. Um, And I was uh, drug tested at work and failed a drug test. And so I was stood down for um, months. Um, I had like the one thing that was keeping me somewhat like in line removed and had that like one commitment, that one bit of structure to my life taken away. So now I had my whatever money I had, whatever income I had left and I had all the time in the world and nothing else to do. And it was dangerous. Like, it could have played out a whole different way for me if I hadn't been so determined to right the wrong that I caused and, like, the shame and stuff. Like, I never told my family. I never 
told them that any of this happened. So I still had to pretend to go to work for three months. And so, like, I had to pretend for eight hours a day to leave the house and go and go to work. And and then, like, sometimes my, like I'd be going to the football after work with my family and I'd have to meet them at work and I'd have to sneak in the building so I could be seen walking out of it even though I was not allowed to be there. Um, and, like, living this lie of being at work all the time. But if when they took that structure away from me and they took those four walls and and that that support system away, it could very, very easily have gone a different way for me. Um, and so maybe... I don't know if that's a determining factor for Memphis or something that they they consider like, okay, so you've just given the guy who has all the disposable income in the world all the time in the world to do what? He's going to put himself completely into that world where that he's, you know, dabbling in. Is that what you are allowing him to do? I'd, I'd think that they would be hesitant to want to give him all that freedom because with that, given he's not making sound decisions, um, what are, are you technically enabling him to do by doing so? I don't know. I think there's a, there's a duty of care to try and provide some kind of stability, security, like job security, that sort of thing. Not that his job's going anywhere, but, you know, like some kind of normality to somebody if that was what they were seeking. But if he's taking time away and it's genuine, like, time away to work on himself, like, then that's awesome. But if it's just to, I don't know, beat up more 17-year-olds with security guards and flash more tiny little weapons maybe that's not so good yeah i would i would guess that the hope for them is that once he's able to care for himself they can provide the structure and stability of an employer i just don't know because he's their highest paid employee basically in a billion dollar corporation and He, he, he is their organization in a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, he is the face of their organization and their mm-hmm. highest paid, their highest paid employee, and so obviously, he, I mean, he, in a way, <laughs> he is their hope. And even beyond Memphis, I mean, we said, I mean, Bomani brought up the point, like he is the pre preeminent Gen Z Black American basketball player, <laughs> so that carries a bigger weight than even the Memphis side of it, and so. I don't know exactly where Memphis as an employer feels that obligation. And like you talked about with like providing structures and stabilities, I think that's a huge part of John Morant's future is that structure and stability because for most NBA players now, and like, I'm not plugged into these circles deeply. I'm not like hanging around with NBA players or no NBA players basically, but a lot of their life revolves around the team and the structures of that organization. I mean, it is, most of your off nights, you're playing video games in the team hotel. It is your, uh, I was listening to Kevin Herter talk about this in Sacramento. Like 
he doesn't keep food in his apartment because everything is provided at the facility, basically. Like, he just doesn't have the time or wherewithal to cook for himself in a lot of these cases. And so because the structure is essentially the organization and so much of your life revolves around it, something had to go really wrong outside of that structure for John Morant to put him in this place where he has to step away from work in order to take care of himself outside of the organization, maybe even inside the organization structure. So I, I don't know exactly where the, I don't know where the line crosses where the employer feels the obligation to step in in his personal life other than I think kind of the the flashing the gun coming off of the report from the Washington Post all happening at once felt like an opportunity for a rock bottom and kind of like an intervention of sorts which I think was what mm-hmm. the 5 day mini like take a break thing was but I it was, think it was that a was it was literally just a stopgap. It was a, pl- a pressure release just to, you know, okay, he's he's not he's not playing. Don't ask questions. He's not here. Whatever, just to sort out the next move. I think. Yeah, and it, because, was a, it was an intervention. You can't say you can't say that like okay, he's gone indefinitely because that's not gonna if if you inflict that on him and he's not willing or he's not in the right headspace to like take on counselling or to whatever, He, if he's not ready for that, then all you're doing is ostracising your, like, highest paid, most important employee and they don't want to do that. So I think the five days was just, okay, let's assess where we are at and where we can go from here. But I think that's like a... And mutual thing between them and Jar, not just like their decision. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why it really does sound like mental illness, because this is an uh, an intervention of sorts, um, potentially because he's developing unhealthy coping mechanisms, whether that's the adrenaline of holding a handgun or the adrenaline of you know, uh, running around in strip clubs at 4.30 a.m. Like, I don't know exactly what John Morant's doing in his personal time other than the four stories that we have. But like he talked about in the statement, like, I need better ways to deal with stress and anxiety and stuff. And it mm-hmm. everything that Memphis was doing felt like they were trying to have an intervention in a rock bottom of some form of addiction. Um, but I don't know if that addiction is just like, I am so stressed and I don't know how to cope with it. Or I am like kind of breaking i don't know exactly what it was but it sounds like the pattern of mental illness and it sounds like they they stepped in with an intervention jaw or the nba decided that he needed to step away from everything and you know we know that he's in a counseling facility in florida whatever that ends up meaning we don't know more than just like a woge and tim mcmahon story so you know whatever is going on there maybe we'll end up figuring out or maybe we won't i just a lot of this feels like intervention for addiction or intervention for a mental crisis and a lot and of the I patterns. That, I think it's it. pretty clear that that was a young man in crisis. Um, whether it was a call for help, I, well, I don't, I'm not going to make that kind of assumption, but though, though, those actions of the actions of a man who is not handling whatever is troubling him or at least it's unique in terms of other 
NBA players in similar situations, even. I mean, that, like I said, there's no. Which makes it all the more confronting, I think, for the rest of us. Yeah. And there's no more high profile case that we can find of something like this. I mean, the, the closest example I can think of right now is Andrew Wiggins has been away from the Warriors for two months for personal reasons, and we just don't know why. So I just there's there's Very, maybe other really not know. Not really. I mean, fam- it's not- didn't all of his family like die of COVID. Uh, that was Carl Anthony Towns, I thought. Uh, they're the same person. Wiggins, I don't know what it is. I mean, like Wiggins is basically they're like Steve Kerr was like, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be back this year. And we we really don't know why. But I like maybe there are other cases like this. It's just not as high profile as John Morant having like four bad public incidents that create what feels like a rock bottom. There are other players who step away like Jimmy Butler has stepped away on many occasions. Mm-hmm. And and doesn't get questioned about where, why, how. Kyle Lowry's on the same. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's their the fact that they're veterans that they have afforded themselves this kind of I don't know past where we don't question or we don't follow up and like chase the story there. With Jar, he kind of brought the story to everybody else, like mm-hmm. four at once. But um, and yeah, I'll maybe like Jimmy taking time away is his way of coping in a more positive way, rather than Jar's very poor ways of coping with whatever he struggled with. But mm-hmm. I, I just wish him all the best because mm-hmm. uh, mental health is a bitch. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you talked about the structures that are in place to help with those things. They do really make a difference. Having structure in your life can be often a very big uh, mental health boost just because it doesn't give you it doesn't leave ample time for your mind to wander. And and if you take away somebody's purpose. And even like even if it's like. A job shouldn't be a purpose in life, but you know, it's something that you wake up every day and okay, this is something I have to do. Like, it's just a commitment to, and this was my issue that I saw going to work as a commitment, um, that I didn't want to, didn't want to let them down. So I went off my face <clears throat> and fell asleep at my desk two days in a row, but I didn't want to call in sick because I thought that was being bad employee <laughs> idiot <laughs> um, but like I don't know that was dumb of me very very dumb um, but I made a lot of bad decisions around that time you know I'm very grateful to be here now um, have I learned from it no I still make bad decisions but not that bad <laughs> bad decisions are always going to be part of the equation though it's and you talked about like losing purpose and stuff. I think the way I think about it is just losing value because everyone values things differently. Like for me, it would be joy, like losing the the sustainable joy in my life would be something that would really hurt because joy is one of my core values, like doing something that sustainably brings love and joy is important. And so I'm not, I'm not sure I was feeling a lot of joy at that point, but 
but you talked about purpose, right? Like yeah. purpose, purpose can be something that you value joy. Like when people lose the thing that they value, that's when it becomes an inflection on themselves. And I've seen it with a lot of people close to me and otherwise I have seen it with a lot of people where if you take away the value or if you take away the thing that they really, really enjoy, whether it be a person, a job, a, whatever it ends up being, it's uh, it's something that can lead down a dark path if not <laughs> corrected and not dealt with in a healthy fashion or even yeah. just having some form of hope. Yeah, they were lucky that, that by stripping me of, of that structure and like threatening to take my job away from me gave me a new purpose. So I didn't continue down the path that I was on and stopped being a moron. But like I just became like doggedly determined to get my job back even though it drove me into crippling debt and it was like the most stressful three months of my life. I had to live a complete lie every day. But I had my purpose then shifted to I must get this job back. It wasn't the greatest job on earth. It was a job that at, at times I had, was sick of. Uh, if I was leaving, it was on my terms. It was taking it away from me. No. It was a, for better or worse, a turning point for you. Mm, it was a fork in the road, for sure. That's kind of work one in the same. It kind of just depends on how positively or negatively you feel about the experience. Well, I don't still have the job, but COVID did that. But I, I will never forget the pride I felt when I walked back into that building and stuck my finger on the finger scanner and attended my first shift again after however many months when none of these people thought I would walk back through those doors. And I was like, no, you will not kill me, motherfuckers. Only I can do that. Only I can kill myself. Only, No, only I will ruin my life you will not i i am the one who put myself in this position i will get myself out and i did and the person who was hell-bent on getting rid of me was terminated within months sucked in (laughs) you outlasted them i did like a cockroach (laughs) (laughs) you outlast them like a cockroach yeah, I think I was on. A, oh, yeah, I was on. A, I was on a cruise, the Caribbean, when I got a call from a work colleague to say he'd been that this manager had been fired, and it was just. Oh, I think I skipped around the boat. I skipped. Oh, it was great. Stupid asshole. Not that he he didn't do it, but I I made the mistake. I handed him the loaded gun, but he wanted to shoot me. Anyway, there is always hope. That's what I've learned. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.